was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so happy to welcome my guest, Broadway star and cabaret singer Karen Mason. On Broadway, Karen has starred in Play Me a Country Song, Jerome Robbins' Broadway, Sunset Boulevard as the original understudy for Glenn Close, Wonderland, Torch Song Trilogy, Mamma Mia, and Hairspray, as well as originating a role in the infamous Rebecca. Karen is also a legendary performer in the world of cabaret, having headlined at Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, Feinstein's at the Regency, Rainbow and Stars, and more. And on Monday the 28th, you can see her starring in Candor and Ebb and All That Jazz at Birdland, which you can find tickets to at the link in the episode description. So now, without further ado, Karen Mason. I'd love to start by asking you um, how you first became interested in theater. Well, let's see. Woo, that was a long time ago. Um, My parents would take us to um, shows when we were growing up. I grew up in the Midwest and um, my parents would take us to uh, shows to the St. Louis Muni Opera. Uh, And have you ever been there? Do you know about it? Yeah, yeah. 13,000 people. And... um, my parents were still a young couple who, um, you know, were, didn't have a lot of cash. And so we would sit in the very far seats, you know, very far away. And the stage and the actors were teeny tiny, but it was so impactful to me because that's, it looked like so much fun and so magical. And I think that's where it really began my, my love, my interest in theater. And um, my parents would always take us to see shows and we had music around the house all the time. So, you know, they would, that was the generation that would play all of the, um, the uh, uh, large, uh, you know, the records of the, of the cast albums. And we always had that around the house. So I, I think, you know, it's their fault that I went into the theater. <laughs> And, um, I, you know, I, I just grew from there. It just looked like a place I wanted to be. Yeah. And then this is, of course, skipping far ahead in time, but what was it like to come back to the Muni to star in Gypsy? Oh, wow. You have done your homework, my <laughs> friend. Um, you know what? It was fantastic. I actually did go sit in one of the back seats because it's far, far away where, where we actually sat. And brought back a lot of memories. I mean, the one of the first shows that my parents took us to see was Around the World in 80 Days. And at the Muni, it's such a big stage. They they put together a ship and then also took it apart, you know, during the show. It was amazing. And to go and do, um, especially something like Gypsy, which, uh, you know, for a, um, 
a singer actor, it is a, a golden role, Mama Rose. Um, and to be able to do that on that stage was, was truly a, a gift. It was so, it's just magnificent. And as you know, I've always said this, there's no arm gesture too big for the St. Louis Muni Opera. <laughs> And what was your interpretation like of Rosen? How did you approach that? Um, yeah, I, you know, listen, I, I, we've seen so many different versions and that's the incredible thing about it. I had done it out in, um, at, in, at Sundance, at the Sundance Theater a few years prior. And I got to meet Gypsy Rosalie's son. And to hear him describe, you know, his grandmother was, was really something. And I, I read the book, you know, that Gypsy wrote. And um, also June Havoc wrote a book. And um, the, Rose was a, Rose could charm the pants off you and also steal you blind. You know, she was kind of, there was supposedly, um, you know, mythology has it that she actually killed somebody, but you know, you don't really know how much of that is just mythology. But, uh, you know, I, I think the thing to take from that is she could charm the pants off you. And, and that was definitely what um, I was told, but that, you know, don't turn your back that, you know, she was in it to win it and at any cost. And, and that's kind of how I approached it. I tried to go for um, the charming, you know, char the charming someone, you know, with uh, taking care of them and charming them with personality. But, you know, with that, for me, it was the, the need, that, that hunger, that um, uh, it, it's, it actually even surpasses need. It's, it's this incredible, um, it's almost a crazy addiction to what she termed what she saw as her success yeah. you know it was I mean she needed that every second of her life and she paid you know a, a relatively high price for it um, she did get what she wanted maybe not the way she thought it was going to happen but um, uh, she did she did achieve her her addiction she did achieve her dream um but you know she was she's a a very powerful woman i those are always the best ones to play i mean i've been told that i have you know i don't have to worry about the nice side of of people you know because i i am an i, I come across as a nice person um and i am a nice person by the way or at least i try to be not always successful but um but that, you know, to focus on that, um, the, the really, the darker side is, is where my work usually is, you know, and making that a reality and part of, part of my, my characterization. And I mean, I certainly fell in love with Rose. How could you not? You know, yeah. she, she kind of goes a little nutty at the end of act one with um, everything's coming up roses. I mean, that to me, was a lot more fun than Rose's turn. Everything's Coming Up Roses is so much fun because you get to go just a little nutty. 
you know, you almost have a little bit of a nervous breakdown <laughs> and take it out on everyone around you. And uh, nothing better than playing a scene with somebody and see them actually, you know, look a little scared that you might not come out of this or that you might hurt someone. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And to, um, to go back to the beginning, even though your parents did take you to a lot of shows, did they support your decision to be in theater? Or Well, that was a more complicated journey. Um, you know, I, my, I think um, my mother was a little bit more vocal about her. It wasn't so much objection to going into theater. It was her objection... Um, it was her fear for me. And it's, it's funny, Charles, I found this out much later in life, that my mother's mother, I never knew my grandmother on my mother's side. Um, and she, it turns out that she actually um, abandoned my mom oh. at, when she was a kid. And that it turns out that she was a band singer. And so my mom's fear, a lot of it did come from, um, you know, her mom, th that, that, that relationship with her mother or that she may or may not have had, you know, she was a baby when her, her mom took off. And so, you know, I'm sure some of it, even though my mother would have said no, I, I'm sure some of that was colored her reaction to my going into show business was colored by that but I've actually been told by my great aunt that I sound a lot like um Juanita who is my mom's mom that uh you know I have the voice that Juanita had which is uh you know again it probably was hard for my mom <laughs> you know to to have that but um eventually she came around and she she was you know always so proud of me even though it was not necessarily a choice she would have chosen for me she was always very proud of me um, but only when I met Brian Lasser in Chicago uh, I think she really at that point knew that there was no turning back you know? yeah. yeah and so where did you go to college or where did you study theater well, I went to college at the University of Illinois, Chicago Circle, um, and I studied theater a little bit. It's not really a theater school, uh, but I did make a really close friend and a gentleman whose name is uh, Bill Raffeld, who was head of the, um, he was the acting coach and, and director uh, when I was in college. And then he and I became really good friends toward the um, uh, you know, later on. And he, I screwed up college the first time through, just FYI. And uh, don't do it, Charles. Do not screw up college. Um, I, I just, I wanted to be where acting was happening. And it was not happening at the University of Illinois Chicago Circle. As much as I wanted, I wanted musical theater. And what they were teaching was, you know, very classical um, acting classes and the music part of it, you know, the music department didn't want to have anything to do with, uh, people who were doing musical theater. It was all opera and classical. So I didn't really have anywhere I fit in. And so I, I, 
stop going without telling my parents and um, not a great wise thing to do. And so, you know, I did not get my degree, but then I went back and this is where Bill and I became close. I, I got in touch with him and he helped me get my degree in 1999 because I thought I'm not going to greet the new millennium without a degree in my hand. <laughs> and so I went back to get that. And I, I, you know, I wish I had been more um, diligent about going to a school that, that I could have learned what I wanted, you know, as opposed to being obstinate and staying where I was. But, um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, oh, oh no, please go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, that, um, that it was a, it's a great school and I did make some good friends. Uh, it's just, it wasn't what I wanted to do, you know? And at that time, it, I didn't want to think that acting, you know, doing the classics could in any way help me in doing, you know, Once Upon a Mattress. And in reality, it does. You know, it's all the same mechanism. It's just, I wanted to be doing musicals and, you know, there you go, so. And how did your eventual move to New York happen? Well, I met, uh, I was doing, I was living out in the, in the suburbs of Chicago and doing a lot of community theater and relatively unhappy because I thought I wanna be close to the people in the city in Chicago who are doing what I'm doing, but getting paid for it. And so I went and auditioned at this restaurant called Lawrence of Oregano um, in, in Chicago. And they had singing waiters and waitresses. My sister told me about this restaurant. And I went and auditioned and met uh, a gentleman I worked with for 16 years. His name was Brian Lasser. And, um, you know, it was just one of those meant to be situations. I, I, singing with Brian for me was always, um, magical, always uh, where I knew I had to be. It was so much fun and so alive for me. And Brian felt the same way. Um, and so after working in Chicago, we started doing, you know, like private parties and working our way to, we were just always creating music. And um, I'm, I, I'm a rehearsal junkie. I love rehearsal. And uh, we just loved creating, you know, we were, we'd get together and just, you know, learn this, do that, blah, blah, blah. It was just all this energy toward creating that was so much fun. Um, and then we, we had done like maybe three concerts in, in Chicago and sold them all out at, at Park West, which I is still there, correct? The Park West? Yeah, I think it is. And um, it so it was right at, as the Park West had opened and, and um, Brian and I had done, we did, we sold out a concert, then we sold out another concert, then we sold out another concert. And we were moving up the food chain in Chicago. And I think both of us, you know, really wanted more than that. Um, it was lovely, but we both had our eyes on other things. And 
you know, the choice is either to go to Los Angeles or to go to uh, New York. And both of us were theater people. And so that's where we chose to move. So we moved in. We had our first job in 1978. And we, uh, it was one night at the ballroom, which was in, in New York uh, and the old ballroom. And then we both decided we got a great review. And I think we both decided this was the place for us to be. And we moved in 79 and there was no turning back from that. Although we would go back to Chicago to earn enough money to go back to New York and spend it. Right. But um, yeah, we, uh, that was 79 was when I moved a long time ago. And when you came to New York, did you have musical theater in mind as well? Or did you think that you would be a singer? Oh yeah. I had musical theater in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, I always, envisioned myself on Broadway, you know, with my name above the title, that hasn't happened yet. Um, but uh, both of us, Brian wrote musicals and also had appeared in some, but he was doing a lot of writing at the time. And so the idea was that we would move to New York, he would write the musicals and I would star in them. little Mickey and Judy actually, <laughs> but, but um you know, it was the it was the plan that we had, and I definitely envisioned myself doing theater. In fact, Brian, you know, the when we were making music together, um, it was always with the idea that it would just open up other doors for us. You know, that he would write the musicals. We get to New York, we could continue doing the cabaret, you know, concert thing but that he would write musicals and that I would be in them. And then, you know, that would just add to doing the concerts and the cabarets. And then we, you know, just the next show and everything would just top, everything was just always constantly topping, you know, the next opportunity, the next opportunity. And he did write a few shows um, that were done in New York. Not fabulous successes, but um, we ended up with some really great music um, from those shows. So, you know, that, it's kind of like the, the history of musical theater, right? There are the percentage of, of, of uh, legendary shows is, is small compared with the number of shows that are actually produced. But the fact that he got them produced in itself is a huge achievement. So, yeah. And so I'd love to ask about um, the Matinee Kids, which was an early show that you did. Oh. In New York. <laughs> that, yeah, wow. So he wrote that. What did you want to ask before I start answering? Oh, was that a Brian Lasser show? Yes, yes, oh. it was. It was. It was a Brian Lasser show. And he, um, I'm trying to think, he wrote that with, was that with Gary Gardner? Was that with? Yeah, I think it may have been with Gary Gardner, Gary Bormet, you know, one of the Garys. But Brian had this, you know, mus music that it all, it, the, the genesis of it was actually the song called uh, Hello, Tom. And which he had written for me um, because I had gone to an all girls Catholic school and I, couldn't find a date for prom. And so I was just telling him the sad saga of my journey, finding a date. And um, he, uh, as he often did, wrote a song about it. <laughs> no secrecy there. 
So he, you know, we love that song and it, it became um, kind of the beginning of that show. Uh, and the, you know, Liz Calloway was in it. Liz Calloway played, she, I like to say she plays the younger me. She likes to say, I played the older her. <laughs> and um, yeah, she got to sing Hello Tom actually in the show. And it was a, it was a, um, it was a good show. You know, it, when you're in the middle of shows, your objectivity goes out the door so that you can continue doing the show. Um, but Brian was a brilliant writer. So, you know, he was young. This was one of the first things he did. And there are still so many great songs that, that came out of that show. Um, and, and his writing was definitely of that era, you know, of the 80s, uh, when things were very over the top um, and over, over dramatic. And, but it was, a, it was, a, um, it was a, a really great opportunity for him and for me, certainly, you know, to have, our, have a, a, a show in New York off-Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, your Broadway debut, I believe, was just a year after that in Play Me a Country Song. And so <laughs> how did that uh, come about? Well, I auditioned with a lot of other people. They were What happened was uh, Play Me a Country Song. I auditioned for it and uh, I got it. And uh, I got cast in the role of Francis. Um, you know, everyone's favorite librarian, aside from Marion. And um, Francis, the show itself uh, was um, in a lot of trouble. Um, we rehearsed it, uh, a wonderful cast, um, really amazing cast. A lot of people are gone now. A lot of the, the uh, young dancers, uh, you know, died during the AIDS um, time um mary gordon murray was was in it who's you know just so beautiful and so amazing and um i uh, you know it was just a mess to be honest um i guess from what i understand it had been a jukebox it's called jukebox opry done off broadway and then which was just um you know a collection of songs and then somebody decided to add a book to it and do it on Broadway. And, um, but nobody was in town for it. <laughs> so the writers were never really around to fix it and to work on it. And as a result, um, it just, it was, oh, it was so sad. You know, on opening night, they took us out uh, on the Circle Line tour, which is the, the boat that circles Manhattan. And, you know, I, I've often joked about this, but I, I have a feeling there's a, a kernel of truth is that the reason they took us on the Circle Line tour is so that we couldn't read the reviews because they were horrendous. They were just miserable. And we got slammed and, you know, on the way out of the ship, off of the boat, we got our pink slips. So we opened and closed the same night. <laughs> But in, in my, re, my most recent cabaret show, I did um, the song from Play Me a Country Song, which is really kind of 
sweet. And the music was by Harry Manfredini, who uh, wrote all of the, uh, uh, who composed the scores to a lot of the Friday the 13th movies, which doesn't seem like it would go to, you know, play me a country song, but it was, it's a really sweet song. So I, you know, I'm kind of happy that um, I got a chance to revisit that, um, even though it was a very difficult time, you know, you very, I, it's not how I wanted my first Broadway show to be, yeah. certainly. And what has been your opinion on critics throughout your career? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I guess they're a necessary evil. Um, and I like them when they like me, and then I disagree with them when they don't. Uh, which is totally unrealistic and not the way I should approach it, but you know, Hey, um, I guess, you know, there are some that are very, very smart and, um, okay. Let me just preface this with the way that Brian would, when he was coaching with someone, Brian Lasser, that was the guy I worked with when he would coach someone, he would always give the positives first. And then, you know, a, it was a, a, an analysis of how to maybe make things a little bit more interesting or better, which is always subjective anyway, but that's the gig, you know? So I appreciate when someone comes to see me and feels respects the amount of time, the amount of energy, and certainly the amount of money that goes into doing a show, whether it's theatrical, cabaret, a concert, it's, it's, a, it's a huge endeavor. So when somebody just writes it off, you know, very um, casually, I, I find that uh, insulting yeah. to the amount of work and time and effort and love that goes into it. Nobody would go into this thinking, oh, gee, this will be wildly fun you know, let's just kill a thousand bucks or $5,000 or 10,000 or a million. You know, it's, it takes time, effort and, and, and love and money to do this. And so I appreciate when someone approaches, approaches a, a critique from the position of, I, you know, I appreciate what you have tried to do whether you achieve it in this person's opinion, you know, that's up to that person, but at least acknowledge the, the, um, you know, that it, at least acknowledge the fact that you're trying yeah. that, you know, and yeah, you know, I, I, I've never done anything, um, without thinking it through. I've always done it with love and, and fun and intelligence, at least tried to. Um, so I, I've been very fortunate in that even when I was getting slammed, it was always done with a sense of humor, you know, and a sense of, uh, of uh, respect of what I was trying to do. But I, I, you know, there it's tough. And especially, I was talking with somebody about this, especially after um, COVID you know, as we're all trying to just find our way back, that 
it's, I think it's time for a little generosity toward at least the attempt to get us back on the boards and to get nightclubs open. Everybody suffered great losses from this. You know, I had a lot of work canceled. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, the clubs themselves or the theaters themselves lost a lot of money and a lot of uh, time. So I think to be a little conscious of that as we're, you know, starting to spin again, I think is really a, um, I think it's, it's kind, it's good. It's what we all need. We need a little, you know, boost. We need a little pat on the head and a little loving care, um, you know, and then you can get back to what you, you know, if you want to throw daggers at me, throw daggers at me at this point in my career, it's like, yeah, you, you know, I've been around too long. You're not going to get rid of me quite that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the Broadway show you did um, after your first was far more successful, which was Torch Song Trilogy. And so what was it like to have this kind of unusual role of singing between scenes? Rather? <laughs> well, it wasn't that different than doing um, a cabaret, you know, for me. So I, I kind of had that in my my wheelhouse. Uh, and, you know, Torch Song, I, I would have loved, I actually got cast. I was doing um, Play Me a Country Song at the time and had auditioned, you know, everybody in show business, you are constantly looking for that next job, you know, cause you gotta. And um, so I auditioned for Torch Song Trilogy when it was moving from off Broadway to Broadway. And I actually got cast in it. And then I tried to get out of my Play Me a Country Song contract and they would not let me out of it. Yes, I know. I've, I've been bitter about that ever since. Um, I tried everything I could to get out of that contract, but I think they knew that, you know, the days were numbered. And so they didn't want to go through hiring somebody new and, you know, whatever that would entail for them. Unfortunately, it did not work to my advantage. But um, Harvey Firestein did let me, you know, let me uh, come in and do the uh, vacations of, uh, you know, Lady Blues. And so that was really good. So, you know, he didn't forget about me and he did come to see, and he did, you know, take care of me, but it was a big disappointment not being able to do that show when it moved to yeah. Broadway. But it was, I, I love doing that show. Although I do have a little bit of vertigo. And so the set was, was um, this uh, revolve, except, but, um, so there was this piece in front that would curve around in front of me. And if you've ever had that experience, it's very disconcerting <laughs> to have, you know, this thing move around. And, and I, I mean, I could feel myself moving closer and closer to the piano. And uh, it, it was, that was the first time that happened. That was a little shocking, but um, I, I love doing it. You know, I listen to be part of any, you know, fun show and any group of actors and the actors were very kind to me. So, uh, you know, come some, some brand new girl coming in for, you know, just a vacation was I'm sure odd, <laughs> but they were very kind to me and, uh, and, you know, it was good. What were the songs that you were singing as Lady Blues? Oh, oh. 
Wow. Uh, oh, you know, I did one in a, a show. I think um, uh, might be you made me love you. I didn't want to do it. Might have been one of them. Uh, and I have no idea past that. <laughs> you know, they they kind of let me choose the songs. I mean, it was I, I could give them a list and they go this one and that one and this one. Um, but uh, that's as far as I think that is that I may have sung that. <laughs> and um, you did a show um, off Broadway during this time called A Bundle of Nerves, and you worked with that with the um, great choreographer Arthur Feria. And what was that like, too? Well, you know, choreographers are not necessarily always thrilled when I'm in their company. Oh. You know, it's like they, they're fine, but it's not like, whoo, are we going to have a great dance solo for this one? Um, Arthur was great. Arthur was fantastic to work with. And I mean, expect coming off the heels of Ain't Misbehaving, yeah. you know, and then to have this company of, of uh, you know, comic actors, I'll tell you, that was a fantastic, I, yeah, it probably was doomed from the very beginning. That was another Brian Lasser, uh, you know, show. It was probably doomed, but what a cast. Gary Beach, Vicki Lewis, uh, Ray Gill, Carolyn Casanova, and myself. And Actually, I think Vicki Lewis and I are the only two left from the cast who are still living. This is the problem with getting older is, you know, this, this happens a lot. But what an amazing company. I mean, good grief. Gary Beach, one of the funniest people ever. Um, and we had a great time doing that show. It was down at the Village Gate, you know, so you got all that kind of village history with it. and. Um, some great songs out of that. Um, uh, I Eat, which uh, I, I've done many times. I think it's actually on my Christmas CD. And it's such a brilliant song. It's still, after all these years, still lands. Um, you know, it's still a, 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 gets a lot of laughs when I perform it or when anyone performs it. Um, and that was, that was a, that was a lot of fun and a lot of years ago, but it, you know, that they were kind of cutting edge as far as um, some of the topics that we covered, you know, uh, the one that Gary did that was so brilliant was about flying, which no one could do that like he did it. Um, and, you know, they did a, a song, it was a comedy review about things that make you nervous and they did one about cancer and it's just hard to, you know, that's kind of a tough subject. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, I got to watch those brilliant comic actors, you know, Vicki and Gary and, and uh, Ray and Carolyn work. And, you know, you can always gather some new, you know, bit from watching people like that, some new, intrigue some new uh technique yeah yeah and so to um to talk about great choreographers one of the greatest certainly was jerome robbins who you worked with on jerome robbins broadway after this and or did you get to work with him coming into the show or 
Well, you know, no, he did not. I did not work with him because I was, uh, I was taking over. Debbie Shapiro was leaving Debbie. Who's now Debbie Gravitt. Um, Debbie was leaving after, uh, I mean, she had been doing it since the very beginning. So that was, it was six months on Broadway, but I think the workshop was like two years before that. Um, and they all worked with uh, Mr. Robbins. I, you know, I worked with the dance captains. Actually, Jerry Mitchell is the one who put me into the show. And um, Cynthia Unrubia was also one. You know, these were all the dance captains who are now big old successes themselves now. And uh, it was, I, God, I, I did love doing that show. I have to say that was one of my very, very favorites. I got to do all kinds of silly things. You know, I got to, and then to sing Mr. Monotony on, you know, uh, as, a, as my kind of feature was fantastic. So I got to be, um, oh, what was her name in uh, uh, something, the comedy tonight. Ooh, uh, yeah. Domina? I wasn't Domina. I oh. was the one, I was the Amazon. So I had on <laughs> thigh high white leather boots and pink hair that kind of came out a big, you know, with a, um, a big helmet. I mean, it was hysterical. And I got to do Mazeppa in Gypsy and, um, you know, a few other things. And then I got my feature of Mr. Monotony. Uh, and, I, you know, I'll tell you, Charles, I felt like that show was the biggest gift to any actor who got to be part of it or anyone who got to see it. Jerome Robbins, such a genius, such a genius. And to be able to see that West Side Story choreography every night, eight times a week, was just magical. To see, and he, you know, to see that lift in the Somewhere Ballet up into that white light. Oh my Lord, what a brilliant mind. What a brilliant mind. I did get to meet him which, you know, I was told that he may or, you know, may or may not show up, but that he did every once in a while. And I, I said, I, you know, great, just do not tell me when he shows up, because I do not want to know. Uh, you know, some people like to know if there are important people in the audience. I do not. I, I do not want to know. And, um, but when Jerome Robbins is in the audience in like the seventh row, everyone knows. And so everyone in that company, you could hear the whispering backstage, Mr. Robbins is here, Jerry is here. Yeah, la, 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 la. And it's like, oh, Lordy, you know, he came up to me, you know, he wanted to meet after he wanted to see the company after the show. And I thought, oh, he's going to say something, you know, hopefully, he's not going to push me off the stage or tell me to get lost or please don't ever come back to this show again. And what he said to me was nice to meet you. And which was a little um, disappointing because I either wanted something really, I wanted some big reaction, but I was told by um, 
I was told by the dance captains and everybody who had worked with him that that was a high praise, you know, that, that, that I got, I got cleared by Jerry Robbins. So I was, I was very relieved about that. And I, I loved doing that show. I loved it. I love to watch dancers. It makes me so envious. I, I wish that I had um, studied dance when I was younger. I don't, I would never be that kind of dancer, but um, it's so beautiful to be able to express yourself so beautifully physically is got to be just remarkable. You know, I mean, they say the same thing about singing, but I, I, you know, it's, it's, that is magnificent dancing. Have you seen the new West Side Story? Not yet. The, the new movie. Yeah. it's quite spectacular and I think what I loved about it the most because I saw the revival on Broadway the the one that was right before COVID and I I have to say that you know it wasn't my favorite because I and that's you know this is just my opinion again it's just an opinion um is that I I loved I love seeing the balletic movement of, you know, the jets and the sharks. <laughs> I like them to be beautiful, beautiful, dazzling dancers. And they were great dancers, but I did not, the choreography was not necessarily my style. Yeah. What I think is great about the movie is that there is, there is an homage to a respect to the Jerry Robbins choreography, but then it goes even farther it updates it, you know, up, updates some things about it and makes it contemporary without losing that beautiful um, ballet, you know, more classical movement. You're going to love it. Please go oh. see it. <laughs> and so um, while you were being a being a star on Broadway, at the same time, you were also pursuing a, um, a cabaret career. And so what was it like to be balancing those two things? I'm always fun. I've actually, that's kind of my whole career is always going back and forth to as many things as I possibly can. Um, Singing will always be something that I, it's always brings me joy. Um, And, you know, being um, able to do a, a show with a lot of other people where you, you know, is, is great fun to be on stage with a lot of other people. You get to share the, the, th- the good things and the bad things, you know, and uh, there's something very special about that, that um, union with a, with a company. But there's also something very gratifying about singing all the songs. And when you're doing a cabaret for an hour, hour and 10, you know, there's that union you have, that collaboration you have with that person at the piano that is um, is very special, you know, in its in uh, in its own way. Um, I was doing when I was doing Jerome Robbins. I started. I was doing late night shows after, like on Saturdays when we actually used to do late night shows. People don't do them so much anymore. But we would do after the curtain came down, an eleven thirty show or an eleven o'clock show. You know, go to a cabaret and. I would do an 11 o'clock show and, you know, 
you'd sell it out. And it was great fun. I, you know, during the seventies and eighties, you know, I was doing like 11, one and 3 AM shows sometimes on Fridays and Saturdays. And it's great. It's great. You know, and to be able to go and do, you know, to be a star on Broadway and then to go do a, you know, a, a cabaret, you know, and be the star of that. It's very, yeah, it's very heady, very lovely. You know, it kind of fills all those, it checks all those boxes of, you know, um, performing for me. And how do you come up with ideas for new cabaret shows? Well, I, um, cabaret has changed a lot since I started. It used to be that you just put a bunch of songs together. And yes, we had an order, you know, Brian was a director also. And so we kind of put together, we, we learned. Um, and also he fashioned so that it really did have an arc. So it wasn't just, you know, same old song, 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 song that have nothing to do with each other. There was always an arc of emotion throughout the show. And um, I got used to that. And when Brian passed away in 92, I've been working with a gentleman named Barry Kleinbort as director and music director is Christopher Denny. Um, and the way we come up with ideas, uh, oh, uh, well, let me finish that thought, is that the way it's changed into now, people have show themes. Yeah. Yeah, so they do writers or they do, you know, uh, I have one that's um, uh, songs from the movies or standards or, um, this one I have coming up in March at Birdland um, is all the Candor and Ebb stuff. And, you know, usually we're just looking for something new and what music is, is speaking to us at the time. And how do we make that, you know, do we have other songs that we want to put together and how do we fashion that into a show? Uh, with the Candor and Ebb, it was kind of natural because of In the World Goes Round that, um, and a couple of other things that have happened in my career, that I've had an affiliation with J um, John Candor and Fred Ebb. So it just felt natural to do a show, you know, with their, about them, with their music. Uh, things like, you know, doing the standards. Do we just, you know, we're, what songs do you want to sing? Okay. How do they relate to each other? <laughs> okay, there you go. You know, and then you find enough songs to kind of fill in the rest of it. And suddenly you have a show and, you know, you make the, uh, the talk in between make sense. Um, I, I'm lucky I work with very talented people. Barry Kleinbort and Christopher Denny are, and, and you know, Brian was the same way, very talented and, and will push me into doing, um, interesting things, at least interesting for us. Has there ever been a song that you've begun rehearsing and then decided not to do for whatever reason? Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, you know, every, uh, every once in a while I get it into my head, I want to do a Motown show. And, you know, there, uh, I'm just, I, I'm just too suburban I think I think I'm just you know not it's just not my gift although 
you know, I would love to think that I could make it all work, but the, the songs are not necessarily story songs. Pop songs are a little tougher for me. Um, certain pop songs I can get away with, but um, I'm, I'm a story girl. I'm an actor, you know, first. And if it's just um, a, a, a tune and a great song and one thought, it's not as interesting for me as a performer. Um, but yeah, we've, I think I've worked on, um, uh, was it, it wasn't Ain't No Mountain High Enough, like a few times and yeah, it just is not right. It's just, you know, you just go, mm, that's not right. That's not where my heart sits. Although I love the music. It's just not where my, my, my skill set sits. Yeah. And do you approach a song that you're doing in a cabaret the same that you would if you were doing it as part of a full show? Um, probably not. Um, I mean, yes and no. You know, acting is, is uh, you have to use yourself, whether you're acting in a show, um, you know, a, a theatrical show or whether you're doing a cabaret. The difference is that when you're you know, you, when you're doing a, a theatrical show, it's through the lens of that character's experiences. Whereas when I'm doing a cabaret, it's through the lens of my own experiences. So it's maybe the same mechanism, but just a different, you just put different glasses on to look at, um, uh, you know, the, the entire through line of it. Um, I just did um, Love Never Dies, the tour of that and played Madame Giry. And, you know, certainly you approach that character, you know, who is she? What does she want? Um, who, who does she, who are her relatives in the show? Who are her friends, if she has any, um, you know, her allies? You know, that it's a, it's a lot more um, other when you're doing a show. It's the character is the other. Whereas if I'm doing a cabaret and I'm singing, um, you know, Colored Lights, yes, it's an acting piece, but it's through my eyes and my experience. You know, it's, it's more personal for me. And what would make you, if you saw a cabaret show, think that it was a great cabaret show? Um, I think... Um, honesty. Yeah. I, I like a performer who's, who's straight up with me, you know, that, and, and is there to, that knows that it's a, you know, that we're all in the room together. Um, and that they uh, uh, are not trying to sell me a bill of goods. <laughs> listen, it's all razzle dazzle, you know, I mean, performing all of that, there is, there's razzle dazzle to it, but there's a, I, the people who speak to my soul are the ones who I feel, um, have a, have an understanding of themselves and are unafraid of that, that person, you know, that they want to, they, they're sharing that person with me. And that's, that appeals to me. That appeals to me. You know, it's like a friendship for a, you know, an hour. And, <laughs> um, and yes, you're showing your best side, but uh, 
you know, I, I like it when I feel like somebody is, is not putting on another person, you know, another persona. They're not putting on airs, but that they're really, you know, if, if I met them on the street, they would be fairly similar to what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that appeals to me. And I'd love to ask you about your uh, new album, Let the Music Play, which you recorded, I believe, during the pandemic. We did. Actually, some of it was recorded a little earlier. You know, every time you go into the studio, if you have a little extra time, you do a couple of extra songs. And some of these songs were done before. And my husband, Paul Rolnick, who is the uh, producer, the record producer, he um, had these songs. And I was bouncing off the walls during the pandemic because, you know, I was home a lot and not used to it necessarily. Uh, and so we were just, I said, let's do, let's put out that CD we've been talking about. Um, and so we went through the list and I said, yes, yes, no, 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 no. Um, and so we had a, a few, you know, songs that we wanted on there that had already been recorded. And then we just kept adding other things to it. And what was great about what happened was because that it felt like kind of a, a disparate list, you know, it felt a little all over the place. Until um, one afternoon, Paul played me a song that he had written with our friend David Friedman. And it's funny, because during the pandemic, um, uh, David and his partner, Sean, and Paul and myself would do Zoom conversations, you know, it's like I'd known David for many, many years, but never really, you know, it was always kind of um, acquaintance, friends type of thing. And um, suddenly we're do every week on well, every Tuesday, we're still doing it. Um, we do these uh, like blab sessions with each other. And, you know, it's so much fun. And so Paul said to David, would you like to write a song sometime? And David said, well, sure, you know, just throw me something. And Paul had an idea. He wrote a little bit of it, sent it to David. David, you know, wrote it, um, sent back stuff to Paul. And they did that, uh, uh, you know, that collaboration um, through email, through the, you know, virtual collaboration. And came up with this song called Let the Music Play. And honestly, when I heard it, I thought that's exactly what the theme of this CD is. That's what we are all feeling. It was when, it was before Omicron. And so we were all feeling like things were gonna open up. I had done my first um, live show in two years and um, it just felt positive and optimistic and wanting to get back to what was important to me, which was the music, you know, and then Omicron hit and suddenly we're kind of back where we started for a short period of time. But it, it does feel to me like that, you know, it's about letting the music play, you know, we've, um, we've been living life apart, we've been hopeless and depressed, you know, with a song deep in our heart that had no place to be expressed. I mean, that said exactly what I was feeling. And uh, so I, I'm very proud that uh, we have that as the title track 
of the of the CD. And there's some great things on there. I mean, David played for me for um, to sing um, "We Can Be Kind." And I got Stephen Schwartz to agree to play for me for uh, for good. So it's really, you know, I I feel very lucky and blessed to know the people I know and and to have them agree to, um, you know, uh, work with me on things. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a good, you know, it's a good life. <laughs> and it's such a wonderful album too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's an interesting thing now, you know, people do listen, because you can, you know, you can download song by song, as opposed yeah. to, you know, the whole thing. And uh, when Paul was putting it together, and, and we really do, you know, make an effort to make it have a, a sense of flow, from the beginning to the end, you know, and, um, it, you know, that's how we used to listen to all albums and stuff was the beginning to the end and you know that we're because of our age you know we're very conscious of doing that and I'm not sure that it even matters anymore but we like doing it so <laughs> so when do you decide to record one of the acts that you've put together when do we decide to record the act you mean like on a CD or just yeah. to videotape it? Um, I've only done that once. I've actually only done that once with the Christmas show um, is to record it and to make a CD of it. And that was at the Lori Beachman many years ago. Uh, actually, I'd love to do a Christmas CD where we have an orchestra, you know, to do all those great arrangements and to do them with, you know, pieces to do I have a big sound I would love that but you know that's that's dreaming someday yeah and I'd be curious to know in your biography it says that among the people you've performed with are Pavarotti and Liza Minnelli <laughs> so I'd be curious to ask about both of those and well you know <laughs> every performer pads their um but I did actually sing on the same stage as both of them. So <laughs> it was not, and, and at this, you know, in the same show with Pavarotti, it was, um, oh, it's a while back, obviously, because he's gone now, but it was uh, an anniversary for the San Francisco Opera and they were honoring him. And I, I have no idea how I ended up on, you know, on this, on the list of people to be there, but I did. And it was kind of all over the place. It was me and, and Rosemary Clooney. And I mean, it was the oddest combination, you know, and then Pavarotti was the headliner. Uh, but we all did our little songs before him. And then they also brought out this very large white chocolate figure of Pavarotti. <laughs> I don't know. It was all very odd. And we sang, you know, drink, drink, drink. Da -da 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 I think it's from Student Prince. And um, that was my, I got to stand in the wings and, and listen to that magnificent um, talent, that genius. Uh, which was kind of exciting. But hey, I decided I would throw it on my resume. <laughs> and with Liza Minnelli, um, 
I, again, it was, you know, like a, one of those, I like to call them cavalcades, you know, their benefits or galas or something where it's, you know, 15 different people. And uh, uh, this was, I'm trying to think who this was honoring. Oh, it might've been, it was at Carnegie Hall. It was when um, they were making, they were honoring John Kander and Fred Ebb with making them um, city landmarks which, you know, is kind of funny, but that's why they made them, uh, they gave them landmark status, John Gander and Fred Ebb. And I did my, uh, my arrangement that was done by, by Chris Denny and Barry Kleinbord of all that jazz. And, you know, Liza came out and did, you know, her many wonderful songs that, you know, she does. And uh, that, that was kind of, I thought, okay, I'll throw that, you know, we were close. We, we didn't sing together, but <laughs> we sang on the same stage on the same night. That, yeah, that was close enough. <laughs> and so I, I'd love to ask next about Sunset Boulevard, which you, you originally um, stood by for Glenn Close. And so how did that, how did that come about? Well, I auditioned like, you know, 8 million other women. And uh, uh, I thought I was auditioning for the role of Norma Desmond. That's how naive I was. And um, I had my audition in, ooh, man, that was like August of, of a long time ago, 91, maybe, uh, maybe 90, it might've been 90. No, it was before Brian died. So it was like August of 92. I think, or 91 or 92. And um, it was, I was doing a show called Heartbeats, Amanda McBroom's Heartbeats out at Goodspeed in, in Connecticut and had my audition. So I came into town and uh, here's how, you know, you should never think that just because you have a lousy audition that you don't get the job. I uh, was supposed to do, they asked for me to do a monologue, which, I hate to admit to all the actors who do monologues that I've never actually memorized a monologue. I just, it just sounds, I'm, I've tried to avoid it as long as I can. And, but they also gave me, um, uh, uh, with one look, the song from Sunset. So I went and auditioned and I got in, I got on the stage and it was at the time when they used to do auditions on Broadway stages which was always very exciting. So much better than being in a cold room. You're on a Broadway stage. And, you know, they're out in the, the dark out there and you're on the stage. And, uh, you know, I, they, Trevor Nunn came up and talked to me about, you know, whatever, you know, my, my monologue, whoops. And uh, I gave some, you know, half, ridiculous half-baked reason why I couldn't do it um and but they said would you like to sing and I said absolutely so I started the song they were all sitting out in the audience and the piano starts and it was like I get to you know with one look and my mind went totally blank I thought I somebody could come up here and threaten my family and I there's no way I would know what that next lyric was and I hear so there was this long pause and I hear from the back I can break your heart it's like oh great 
well, we can kiss this one goodbye. And there you go. I got the role. So, um, <laughs> but I auditioned, you know, we went out to Los Angeles. I got offered the role of standby and, um, you know, knowing it was a standby for a, a, a star of such great stature, like Glenn Close was certainly, um, intriguing enough to me. And I get to watch her, you know, that I could watch her work. Uh, and they all said to me, um, all of the artistic staff at one point said, you know, you probably will be going on a lot because she hasn't done a musical in a while. Yeah. Well, never, you know, try to predict Glenn Close and cause she's a strong powerhouse of a woman and she you know, didn't miss until like five months later. And, uh, but it was, it, I went out to Los Angeles and was there for a year and then came back, you know, with Glenn and, um, the, and the company and was, I, you know, I covered Glenn, Betty Buckley and Elaine Page. Yeah. Three, three, you know, strong women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was it like to be, if, if you want to talk about this, in the sort of heat of the Patti LuPone thing that had happened with Sunset Boulevard before? And did that come into play at all? Or Nah, not really. I mean, um, not for me. I mean, it, it really didn't affect me in any way. And, um, you know, it, it, listen, it was that that show was so surrounded by intrigue and um and fascinating stories and i you know i thought they handled it rather poorly with patty i mean that's that's a pretty crappy thing to do to an actor um you know that's uh, i think more than anything i felt kind of protective of her and and wanted to you know i wish i had known her but you know, probably being Glenn's under, you know, her standby would not have, um, you know, uh, she probably wouldn't, Patty probably wouldn't have been so happy to hear from me. But I, I felt like it was a pretty crappy thing to do to an actor, you know, just not, to not be straight up. But um, I'm not a producer and this is why, you know, I, I think uh, a producer or a, um, you know, a mogul, um, I just think it's, it's, that's, you just don't treat people that way. You don't treat artists that way, but hey, she, you know, she sued, she had got her come up and since she got a pool in Connecticut, you know, because of it. So uh, there you go. So um, similar to what I'd asked you about Mama Rose, um, what was your own interpretation of Norma Desmond when you got to go on when Glenn Close? Yeah, I mean, I approached her as a, a girl from the Midwest because so many of those um, uh, uh, silent film stars, you know, were just like young, 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 young kids who had never been, you know, anywhere and just were, you know, groomed. And I, I kind of treated it that way, that she was, a, you know, a young, very ambitious, but young a uh, girl from the Midwest who, you know, fell into the right group of people and, um, uh, you know, then suddenly became a big success. And uh, that, was, that was interesting. And they let me, 
That's the interesting thing about being a standby or cover. Uh, so many times they want you to do it exactly the way that the person you're covering does. And they did not do that with me. Um, you know, it might, yes, my responsibility is not to screw it up for all the other actors on stage, you know, is to make sure that we land all the, the, the right moments and that I don't get in their way. They have their show and, you know, they're used to doing it with a particular person. My job is to not come in and reinvent the wheel. Um, but that being said, they also gave me enough latitude that I could um, create my own norma, you know, and change it just, just slightly, you know, just so that it was, I made her, um, um, you know, things that Glenn could do as, you know, an Academy Award and Tony winner that she could do and get away with on me are just, didn't suit me. You know, they didn't fit me. Uh, but I worked with a coach, uh, a friend of mine, whose name is Justin Ross, when I was out there. And, uh, you know, we found my own path to Norma Desmond and found my own path to uh, her being the recluse that she became. Um, and it was, it was, it was very exciting, you know, is uh, the hard part is that you don't get a chance to really do it until you're, you know, suddenly, as my husband says, I was a very well-paid insurance policy, you know, you're, you're just sitting at home until you're called on to be the star of a big show. And in, in reality, I think my cabaret chops really came into play because in cabaret, you do not get, you know, six weeks of rehearsal and previews you know, you get rehearsals and then boom, you're on. And basically most of the time it's over, you know? So I think my cabaret experiences helped me with that, my cabaret and, and, and uh, concert stuff. But I, the more I got to do it, the, you know, the, the, the less um, um, frightened I became of of doing my my version of her. And nobody seemed to be saying, oh, please don't ever do that again on a stage. So I figured I was going in the right direction, you know, and they were all very gracious and kind to me. And, uh, you know, that that's, there's a lot of goodness in that. It doesn't happen all the time, um, but when you have a, a, a group like, uh, the cast of Sunset Boulevard was, um, they were just like menches from top to bottom, you know, taking, just open their arms. What can we do to, you know, make this a good experience for all of us? That's, that's, that's gold. Yeah. yeah. And what were your relationships like with um, Trevor Nunn and Andrew Lloyd Webber? Uh, I would say they were peripheral. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Trevor Nunn, you know, I mean, I don't think he, he may or may not remember me. I don't know. I, cause I, you know, as a, as a cover, you don't work with the director. Yeah. You know, I, I got put into the show. I watched it because I was there, um, as opposed to a, uh, you know, an understudy, a standby is one person. And so I was there at the very beginning of rehearsal watching Glenn and watching 
the um, you know the 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 way she was moving the questions she would ask. It was a real lovely kind of a master class. Um, but Trevor was very protective of her also, and so I was not let in on an awful lot of conversations. Uh, and I I think he knew I was there, but that wasn't you know I we didn't really have any kind of relationship and uh the andrew was very good to me in a couple of times that were very difficult um uh, i am sure you know in all of your research you read about the time that um you know uh glenn took time off and then wrote this letter to andrew saying uh you know that uh, they, they had boosted the um, the grosses. The producers had boosted the grosses, so that it looked like you know everything was fine, you know. And in reality, it wasn't. But you know that's uh, what what people do to protect their their product. And she had written a very she was very upset by it, very hurt, and wrote a letter that. Uh, to Andrew that um, somehow got seen by the press and uh, a lot of other people saying that basically the show fell on her shoulders, that she was the one, the reason, she was the reason the show was a success. And it, you know, that was a pretty harsh thing for everybody in the company to read. And it was pretty harsh for me also because I got included in the letter. And, um, it was, that was, that was a tough time. Um, and so from that, I think Andrew sent me um, a, a lovely note, you know, saying we're very proud of what you've been doing. And that was nice. I felt supported. And then uh, when we were moving from um, Los Angeles to New York and, uh, uh, oh, Faye, Faye Dunaway was supposed to go in. In, in, in Los Angeles. And then they, we were rehearsing. I was gonna do the time in between Glenn leaving and Faye coming into the company. And I was rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing and all ready to do my you know two weeks, one week, whatever they decided it was gonna be. And then the plug got pulled. And I had just spent about $5,000 on a press agent. Um, and was a little, that was a little jarring to me. Um, I spent a few nights crying. Um, but um, Andrew invited me to his place in um, New York at Trump Tower to just come over and have him apologize to me. You know, he was sorry that it happened the way it did. And that was kind of like wildly gracious and, you know, very considerate. I, uh, so I, I have nothing bad to say. I don't think I have a, you know, it's not like we call each other, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm may or may not be on their radar, but um, you know, I have nothing but uh, nice things to say about them. So, yeah. And so you mentioned that um, Sunset Boulevard was a show surrounded by intrigue and another show like that was Rebecca that you were. Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> and so I'd be curious to know, how far did you sort of get in the process of Rebecca? Were you into rehearsals or? 
No, uh-uh, no, we never quite made it to rehearsal. We, um, well, let's see. It got delayed three times. Um, and everybody was, you know, on board with it. And then it would get delayed. And, you know, you'd cross everything. And um, then it got delayed again. You know, you'd have another date. And the last time that it did, we still, I was, I had gone in for um, costume fittings, you know, costumes were being made, um, wigs, all of that. I mean, they were doing all the pre-production that, you know, you would normally do if the show actually was going to happen because everybody thought it was going to. Um, and then we get that when we're supposed to start rehearsals on that Monday, and I, I'm really bad with dates, but it was either August going into September, September going into October. And we got, I, you know, I got the phone call on Saturday morning thinking, you know, I mean, this time we were going to go in for rehearsal. Monday, we were starting. Monday was it. I bought my first, uh, you know, rehearsal outfit. <laughs> and I, I always like to do that. I like to have something new. And uh, I got the call, you know, a, a text saying, can you come into the office tomorrow? And, you know, uh, you're just your heart sinks because yeah. you know, it's not going to be good. And um, yeah, it was the three actors who were called into the office on Sunday were me, Jim Barber and Nick Wyman, who I think at that time was president of Actors Equity. And we were the three actors who were brought in. Um, and, you know, then you hear the, 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 you know, the, the guillotine blade comes down and we asked if we could be the ones to call the company, you know, as opposed to anyone else. So the three of us actually called every, every company member that was there that was on the list. And everybody agreed that what they wanted to do was to get together the next morning, even though there would not be a reason to rehearse to get together at least we had formed a bond really it's kind of crazy we you know these these emails and texts that would get sent back and forth were so much fun and so you know it was gonna be I, I was so looking forward to it because it seemed like such a great group of people and um so we got together on that Monday and it was uh you know um Ben Sprecher came in and, and talked to us, but it was Michael Blakemore was there, Graciela Danielle, all the designers, everybody wanted to be part of this. Sylvester and, and Michael, who were the, the composers and the you know, composer and writer, everybody was there. Everybody wanted this to happen and was so looking forward to it. It was a very sad morning. But at least we got to be together for a short period of time. And um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, that was a very sad, sad thing to happen. I would have liked to have been able to do that. I felt um, this was going to be a great opportunity for me. 
Yeah. And, um, and it would have been a, a good company to be part of, you know, you can kind of get that sense from how everybody came to, Hey, we went out for ribs together. You know, I mean, we were, we were going out for cocktails. We were enjoying each other's company. And I think it would have been very special, but it was not meant to be. So, you know, move on, you know, be hurt, be crushed, and then just try to get yourself back together, you know, and, and move on. And what was the show itself like since we never got to see it? <laughs> well, they were totally redoing it. I mean, I, I never, I saw the script that they had been working on, but I never really got a chance to hear. They were reorchestrating it. Uh, Kevin Stites was the uh, music supervisor, music director for the show. And they were reorchestrating it for, uh, you know, an orchestra as opposed to the, the more um, European, um, you know, like, um, oh, what do they call that? Um, you know, that, that has, it's got a little bit more of, um, it's not the orchestral sound, it's a little bit poppier sound. They were gonna do this orchestrally. This was gonna be grand. And uh, I never really got to hear the orchestrations, but I know Michael Blakemore is a genius as is Graziella Danielle. I mean, the artistic staff was gonna be top drawer. So I, I, I saw the script and I, I think it could have been really magnificent. And I, I love the music, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, it would have been with an orchestra, with a big old stinking orchestra would have been just magnificent. And, you know, and who doesn't want to go see a house burning down on Broadway? <laughs> and crazy people, come on, who doesn't want to see that? And so I know we're almost running out. Ah, are we? Okay, um, but I'd love to um, make sure we talk about Mamma Mia, which was another great success that you did. And so did you, I'd be curious to know, did you always know that that was going to be as big a hit as it was? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, because by the time it got to New York, they had done the, they had done West End, Toronto, and the first national tour. And it was just breaking box office numbers wherever it went. So, uh, you know, unless, I mean, who knows what would possibly could have happened to have made it a, not a success, but people were so geared up for it. And, you know, right before, right in the middle of our rehearsals, 9-11 happened. So New York was ready for, you know, New Yorkers and New York was ready for some entertainment that would just take them away from you know the outside and um so uh yeah it was pretty i i have to say though you know even though i knew it was going to be uh you know you anticipate that it will be a hit because it's been wherever every other place it went but you still you know in the back of your mind go well you never know who knows what's going to happen so the first night that we, that our previews, the first night we did the show and we started doing the mega mix, you know, and people are screaming. I mean, they're up in there. They're standing up. 
they're screaming, they're having a great time. And, you know, it's like your hair gets blown off your head. It's just magnificent. You go, yeah, we're going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think we're going to be fine. I mean, it's kind of, um, it was, um, kind of, uh, critic proof and it's just so much fun. I mean, it's brilliantly put together. It really is taking the music. First of all, their music is so fun. I didn't know it is well as you know a lot of people in Europe they grew up with it and I grew up with a lot of it but I I knew the big hits I didn't know all the other songs and the way that they you know it's got definitely a tongue and tongue and cheek attitude but definitely a story that that moves you you know it's a a sweet story and um we had a ball doing it it was hard you know during right after 9-11 was very, very complicated because uh, everybody's so intense and um, the city is very intense and sad and mourning and cautious and scared, you know, all these big, big, big emotions. And then you have this, you know, very kind of fun, Let's just escape. Come on down, you know, play with us. And uh, you could tell in the audience from the second where that, you know, that um, the show opens with like this guitar, you know, and you could tell from that minute that people, you know, they were just ready to forget. Yeah. And, and to, and, and the cast was the same way. It was a lovely two and a half hours of just forgetting what was outside the theater. Um, it was it was uh, 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 timely and a gift. And after this, um, another great tragedy for for the city and for the world. Um, I'd be curious to know: Do you think that we need a show like Mamma Mia? Would you want to do another show like Mamma Mia? Um. Uh, well, that was hard work, actually, Charles. Uh, um, and I'd have to uh, lose a, a, li- a few pounds and do some leg lifts to fit into white spandex again. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, just something, I, the world is very different now, you know, with uh, the world has changed a lot. But I think it would be nice to have something that was a little, you know, forget your troubles and just get happy. Music Man might be that, you know, Music Man has opened at a very interesting time and um, that might be the show and it's a beautiful, God, what a great script that is and the music, you know, it's just everything about it is so beautifully crafted. Um, uh, Yeah, I think the, I think the Broadway, I think New York could use something where you just, you don't have to think, just come along on the ride with us. You know, we're just going to show you a little, um, uh, you know, it's going to be cotton candy for a little bit with, you know, yeah, you might cry some, you'll laugh, you'll cry, but, you know, it'll just be a little cotton candy for right now. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay. I don't think we always, I think there's so much to think about. So many, so many issues that are, are coming, you know, rising up. 
and they all have to, you know, it's, it's, we live in a complicated world. You can't avoid it. You know, we have to become better people. We have to become better artists and more inclusive and take care of each other, you know, and maybe just a little bit of uh, cotton candy along the way is not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the last question I'd love to ask you is with such a legendary career in the theater, what advice would you give to someone just starting out? Hmm, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say, just keep breathing, you know, don't, don't get panicky about things, just keep learning, keep breathing, and, um, and be very easy on yourself, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up for things you can't control. Uh, and and enjoy it along the way. You know, it's about the process. It's not about the end result. Um, life, and from the vantage point of being the older person who did none of this when I was growing up, you know, which was become <laughs> cool and collected. Um, you know, I wish that I had taken more time to appreciate the moment. Uh, you know, the moments of all these fun things that happened along the way that I, I was so busy thinking about the next job and the next opportunity and what it may bring me that a lot of times I didn't enjoy the reality, the moment of what my present, you know, the, the present of what was happening to me. Um, and uh, I think that would be the thing that uh, I just did a, a concert for this organization that's starting a school in Illinois. Uh, in Naperville, as a matter of fact, called the Illinois Academy of the Arts. And it's a, a school for, you know, they're gonna be a full full curriculum school with uh, leaning toward the arts. And, you know, the woman was asking me, what would you, you know, what do you think, what would you say to young artists? And it's like, enjoy the process because it's about the process. It's not, you know, don't think in terms of if I do this, I will be a star because you, no one can predict the future. But if you keep learning and keep making yourself a better artist and keep working at it, you know, keep enjoying it and working at it and learning and listening, um, the process is, is pretty good. Along the way is pretty good. You just have to, uh, you know, uh, know that that it that's what it's about it's not about the end result it's about the process yeah well thank you so much for doing this it's been an honor too to meet you and to talk to you well you too and i i look forward to the next time we get to do this you oh, are so listeners thank you for tuning in and remember to come back next time when i am joined by character actress beth fowler beth fowler is a two-time tony award nominee for her performances in the boy from oz and sweeney todd among the other shows she has starred in on broadway include teddy and alice take me along beauty and the beast 1600 pennsylvania avenue a little night music over here baby peter pan Gantry, Bells Are Ringing, and Inherit the Wind. Among Miss Fowler's on-screen credits are Orange is the New Black, Sister Act, the new movie One December Night, and more. So make sure to tune back in for that in-depth conversation, and thanks for listening.